Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. That's where we begin with this series called Uphill Habits. Real quickly, let's just take a a quick poll. How many of you look back on 2017 and say, man, that was a great year? How many had a great 2017? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's not not bad. Okay, how many, let's just be honest, how many are like 2017? Mmm, that was a little rough. Yeah, yeah, I could do without that. No, I will not have any more, please. Thank you. Um, you know, again, when we, when we look sometimes into the past and we evaluate our year, we did this. My wife, I, I thought our year was pretty good, and my wife and I were talking the other night, and apparently I am oblivious. Um, wives out there, can I get an amen? Your husband is oblivious. Yeah, there you go. So that's me. And so, because we were sitting there, and we were talking, and she's like, yeah, 2017, woo, glad that's gone. And I'm like, why? And she's like, don't you remember this? Which, if by the way, you ever start like a sentence in a conversation with me and the sentence begins, hey, Todd, do you remember? Just know, I love you. It's not that I don't remember because I don't care. It's because I don't remember things. And so my wife said, do you, don't you remember? Which the answer was, no, I don't remember. Um, I was in my nothing box that day, apparently. And so anyway, I don't remember. But she's like, remember, I was sick for this long and then this happened and then I got sick again and then this and whatever. And she's just going, I'm like, wow, that sounds terrible. (laughs) That is awful, sweetie. I, did, I had no idea. So, so, you know, sometimes you look at your year and, and you start measuring it on, on a financial thing. Like, how did we do financially? Sometimes you're measuring it maybe your career. Like, what did, we, did we advance our career occupationally or whatever? Or did that take a step back? Sometimes you're looking at your relationships. Like, how did that go this year? And everything, everything has this barometer. But if I could do anything for you, I'm going to just kind of help you out this morning in terms of setting you up for success this next coming year. What I want you to do is this, is I want you to commit to this right here. I will let 2017 go. I'm going to let, I'm going to Elsa that thing. I'm going to let it go. That's old school right there. I feel like, but when you have kids in your home, that's fresh. So I will let 2017 go. Now, for some of you, I don't, I don't know what that means. For some of you, it could be that, that there was something in 2017 where something happened to me and I need to forgive to let 2017 go. There's just something in there. Somebody did me wrong, hurt me, harmed me, and that became kind of the hallmark of 2017. And what I want you to do is I need you to let 2017 go by letting that person go, by forgiving them, by saying, hey, look, I'm going to cancel their debt They don't owe me anymore. I'm not going to let what they did to me, because here's the deal. Many of us take what happens in our 2017, and then we just put it in our backpack, and we carry it with us right into 2018. And then we wonder why maybe the years seem to be the same year after year after year. It's because, well, sometimes you got to empty your backpack. Sometimes you got to let that stuff go. For some of you, here's the deal. To let 2017 go, you need to repent of something. You know that like what you put in your backpack last year was some guilt and some shame and you did something wrong or you've got something that you, 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 you look back and you're like, that is the biggest blunder of my life, but I will not let that define me and I will not let that define my future. And so again, what, let's just put it like this. Sometimes there's just circumstances. Wasn't anything that anybody was in control of. Wasn't anything that you did. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. They are just awful, awful circumstances. Jesus gives his disciples a recipe. There's this, there's this story where Jesus takes the disciples. And he says, hey, I'm going to send you out two by two. You're going to go into the town, the city villages. You're going to preach and pray for people. It's going to be awesome. A little evangelism trip, uh, you know, a little mission trip with the youth group, that kind of a thing. And so he goes, but you're going to go into certain cities and they're just going to completely reject you. 
Like they, they ain't going to like you. They don't want to have nothing to do with you. And here's what I want you to do. When you leave that city and you get to the edge of that town, he goes, I want you to just kind of do this right here. Just like you just stepped up in something and you got to get it off. You're walking in the backyard. Kid didn't pick up like he was supposed to. You know what I'm talking about? And, and he goes, that's why I want, you, I want you to literally shake the dust off of your feet and walk away. Sometimes that's what you have to do to a season of life. Sometimes you say, it was just circumstantially, there was nothing I could have done differently. I need to shake it off. So I said, for me to go forward, I need to let go of 2017. Number two is this, is I want to just believe that 2018 can be better. You know what we call that? Hope, <laughs> right? You ever do that? Like, man, I hope. I hope, you know, all you Raider fans, you're like, I hope, you know. Niner fans, we feel good right now. You, you, Raider fans, you feeling good about Gruden? Anyway, I hope. But then they're leaving to go to Vegas. Anyway, let, let it, we'll let that go. <laughs> but we need to have a level of hope within us. You know what hope is? Hope is just a positive expectation for the future. That's it. I need some hope. I need something in me that says, hey, there can be a light at the end of the tunnel. God's going to come through. That prayer can be answered. There's going to have some breakthrough in this area of my life. I have some hope. Now, listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says this. It's one of those scriptures that everybody kind of points to for hope. But I, I want to put it in its context. Let's read it first, though. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you what? Hope. God wants to give you hope. Now, the context is this, though. This is going to brighten your day. If you came out of 2017 and it was terrible, this is going to brighten your day. The context of this scripture is awful. It's terrible. Israel had been living in sin and doing all kinds of bad stuff. They had gotten into trouble with all kinds of surrounding nations. And basically, people had come in and ransacked the city, plundered the city, taken everybody as slaves captive. And in some ways, this was God just pulling the, the, his hands back saying, hey, look, y'all rejected me. Then this is kind of the consequences of you living away from me. And so they get carried off. In the, so this comes out of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah writes. And then the letter, he's basically saying, okay, y'all done gotten into trouble. And you're going to get carried away to Babylon. You're going to be there for like 70 years. But, everybody say but. But you need to know that sometimes that when bad things happen to you, it's, it's, you can't always look at it through the lens of always negative. And here's why. It's because if you walk with God, God has the ability to redeem all negative things. When you walk with God, I'm telling you, he can take catastrophe and all of a sudden he'll pull good at it, out of it. He'll, he'll take something that you're like, I have no idea how, but wait, give it enough time, give it enough years, give it enough months, give it enough whatever. God has the ability because God is in the redemption business. So, matter, so no matter what happened to you in 2017 that might have been so bad, just know this, that if you'll walk with God, he has the ability to turn it around for good. Because his redemption plan ultimately is to give you a hope and a future. Now, here's the deal. Not only will I let go of 2017. Now, if, if 2017 was really good and you raised your hand in there, just be grateful for 2017. You don't have to let that go. Just be grateful. Be thankful. But some of us, we need to let it go. For 2018, we need to have some hope, and hopefully we're going we're gonna to stir that up in you today. But here's the reality. To really pull this off, we have to commit to this. I will do things different this year. I will do things different 
this year. I met with a, with a, with a couple recently. And we're just working on their marriage and they're going through some things. And I finally just told them, I said, hey, look, here's the deal. The way that you guys have been going about this or the way that you have been doing this is backwards. And here's the deal. You guys every week come in and it's the same problems, but from last time we met to this time we've met, you've actually done nothing different. Are you hearing me this morning? Isn't that what we talk about as the definition of insanity? To kind of keep doing the same things? Well, guess what? If you want your 2018 to be better, to be different, for God to elevate, for you to kind of like have that thing, you're going to actually have to do something different. Something will have to change in your habits. Listen to this. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 2 from a, a paraphrasing of Scripture called The Message. And it says this. It says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So here's the deal. God wants to just do something different in you. You're going to have to do something different. Something is going to have to change or you're just going to get more of the same. And we know we don't want that. So what's going to have to become different in our life? And here's the deal. This is why we're talking about uphill habits. Because most of us have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits. We talked about this last week. We can say it like this. Many of us have great hopes, dreams, and intentions, but we have poor paths and poor direction. Because and here's, because here's what I believe. The vast majority of you people are wonderful, good, well-intentioned, good-hearted people, and you actually want God to do good things in your life. Can I get a what, what, and an amen, and a yeah, yeah? Okay, so, so that's, that, that's us. But here's the deal. God has invited you into this journey where you walk with him, where you walk in his ways, you walk in his will, you walk in his paths. And here's the deal. God wants to elevate your life, but if you have these uphill hopes of what you want God to do in your life, but you have all these downhill habits, then you actually end up saying that, that the direction that I'm on doesn't end up leading me to the destination that I want to arrive to. So here's the first habit. So let's jump into this series and actually like hit the ground running now. Very, very simple. It's the first Sunday of the year, so you know where I got to go with this. Habit number one, if you want uphill habits, is this, is I will put first things first. I will put first things first. Meaning, when I look at the priorities of my life, when we start looking at where our money goes, where our time goes, and where our attention and affection goes, we know that there's kind of a, a, a order of list. Because if I sat down and talked to most of you, and I said, hey, is God important in your life? What would you say? But yeah, of course, absolutely, God's important. Really important, yeah, yeah. Hey, what about your marriage? Is your marriage important? Oh, yeah, yeah, your marriage is important. Marriage is really important. What about your kids? Kids kids are important? Yeah, yeah, kids are important. But then if we evaluated your time and your money and your attention, what we would immediately begin to see is this, is that my heart says those things are important, but my time and money and attention say that other things are actually important. And so what we need to do is make sure that first things are first in our life. So here's the way that we're going to do this. I want to give you just two ideas on how you're going to put first things first. Because if you'll do these two things, basically everything else will fall into its natural place. Now, if you get these two things wrong, 
nothing else ever quite gets into its proper place. And this is number one, it's this, is I will put God first. Yeah, it's real quiet. It's real quiet. You're like, I don't know if you were like, okay, is that it? Yes, that it. That's it. That, you're like, Todd, did you work all week on a sermon? And that's all you came up with? Listen, listen, listen. Is this actually true in our life if we begin to evaluate everything? Is God actually first in our life? Is that the way we are really living life? Or are we living in the realm of the idea and the, the, the ethereal that God is first in our life? Because here's the deal. and here's, here's what you need to know as Christ followers. God will either be first in your life or he will be not at all. Okay, let me say that again. because God will either be first in your life or he will be not at all. Because this is who God is. This is his divinity. This is his nature. This is a part of his attribute or his godness. Is that God, this is what we call the preeminence of God. It's that God is first and highest of all. Period. So does that make sense? When I talk about the attributes of God, I'm not talking about stuff that God does. I'm talking about who he is. Do you see the difference there? Like we do things this is who he is. So like God is love, right? That's not something he just does. That's actually a part of his makeup and his nature. That's who he is. He could not be love. He couldn't stop loving. He could, that just, that's just who he is. God is love. Here's so like just some attribute ideas of God so you can get your head wrapped around what I'm trying to say here. So like God, for example, there's another attribute that God is omniscience or he is all-knowing. So like God, for example, is not smart. Some of us are smart. Some of us not so smart. God is neither. God is not smart. God is all-knowing. Do you see the difference? God doesn't think about things the way you and I think about things. Like we read a book and we learn something. God has never learned anything. God has never listened to a lecture and be like, wow, that's interesting. It, God, it's never occurred to God, right? You ever done that? You're like, wow, you know what? Babe, you know, it totally occurred to me the other day. It never occurred to God. God never had a new idea. God was never like, angels, you know what I was just thinking? God does not think about things the way that we think about things. God is not smart. God is all-knowing. Here's another one. God is omnipotent, right? He is all-powerful. So like, you have to do push-ups to move furniture, right? You have to do crunches, right? So you don't throw your back out when you sneeze. You have to do certain things so that you stay strong, right? God does not have to do push-ups to make the universe. God does not, it does not require anything of God for him to do everything. He is not strong. He is all powerful, right? So these are these big ideas. Here's, here's another one, the immutability of God. I love this one. The immutability, these are all just big fancy words that, that mean simple things. But the immutability of God is this, is that God is unchanging. So the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. You ever think why that's important? It's because if anything could change, it could get better. And God can't get better. He's already best. He's immutable. He's, but out of all these attributes, he is preeminent. Do you know what that means? He's first. God has never run a race and not finished first. Does that make sense? He's never, he never entered a contest and didn't win. He has never walked out of anything without a blue ribbon. He, has a, he is first and above all. I met this girl uh, yesterday and she came over and showed me like all of her trophies and medals 
from her latest competition. It was so sweet because she was so proud of herself. And I thought, holy smokes, you want all those medals? And then I figured out what it actually was. Because then she's like, she turned them over. She goes, this, this is a medal for eighth place. And this is a medal for sixth place. And this is a medal for third place. I thought, dang, they just give out, they just give out medals for anything. If you just show up and get a medal. I, should, I wish life worked that way. You know what I mean? Don't you wish work was that? I just showed up. They started giving me paychecks. It was crazy. Like all these medals you get for eighth place. I never got a medal for eighth place. That's changed. We should go back. Um, so, but my point is, is that God is first. He is preeminent. He is highest of all. We could even say it like this. God is actually not even first in a list of, of, of a class. God is in a class all by himself. I mean, you can't even compare how this works. And so the idea of God's preeminence makes it in such a way that he can't be second. If God can't be second, then he can't be second in your life. So he's either first or he's not at all. Because God, can't, God doesn't show up and wait in lines. God doesn't take a back seat to anything. So because that's how holy and different and other and special and unique or preeminent God is, because that's his nature, God doesn't show up in your life and say, yeah, yeah, I'll wait. Yeah, you go uh, put other things first. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll wait behind your mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, I'll wait behind your kids or I'll wait behind your job. Sure, sure. No, I'll just be over here in the, you know, I'm just going to be over in the corner. And when, when you're ready, then I'll be here for you. As a matter of fact, when you're desperate enough and you really want to pray, then I'll just, I'll just swoop in real quick here. Does that make sense? I don't mind being eighth until every first through seven fails you. Then I'll jump in. Does that make sense? God is first. He is preeminent. As a matter of fact, listen to the way the Bible begins. Just, just a little thought here. In the beginning, God, right? That's it. In the, we, I, I, they probably could have just put God. For chapter 1, verse 1, just God. In the beginning, God. God is first in all of creation, first above all things. He is first, it, not just even on a list of things. He is first in a class all by himself. Here, here's another thought. I, I taught you this, that the Ten Commandments were not a series of rules to see if God liked you or not. It was really just a reflection of how to live the best life possible. Look at what the first rule or command that God gave to the children of Israel. Remember that whole, he comes down from Mount Sinai, he's got the two tablets. What's number one? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What? You shall have no other gods before me. Notice that's a little g, right? A little g God. And the reality is, is that you and I are probably not struggling with whether or not we build a little golden calf and worship it. We don't do that anymore. We don't live in a pagan world. We don't live in a tribal society. We don't have little statues in our home, most of us, that we're worried about. Like, okay, do I worship that or do I worship God? That's not our struggle. You know what our little gods are? Our little gods are all the little things that we stack up in our life and end up putting ahead of God. They're all the little things that steal our attention and our time and our money and our affection. And that all of a sudden, God, all the, when he's not first, he's like, okay, then, then you got this apparently. If I'm not first, I don't take second and third and eighth place medals. I don't, that's not who God is. God wants to be first in your life because, and here's the deal. If you're taking notes, write this down. Whatever you put first in your life orders everything else. 
Whatever you put first in your life orders everything else. So it's so important that you start right here in this specific area and say, God, I need you to be first in my life. And so the the thing I want you to think about over these next few days is this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there any area of my life where God is not first? And we need to have a come to Jesus moment. Like, okay, no, you know what? You're you're right, Todd. I've, I've let this slip. I've gotten distracted. I've put God, I gave him an eighth place medal. What in the world was I thinking? And look, and here's the deal. You'll know this to be true because watch where your life heads when God is not first anymore. Normally, it can kind of move along for a little while because you're kind of coasting still, but eventually that thing starts spiraling in a negative direction. Look at the direction of your marriage. Look at the direction of your, of your relationships. Look at the direction of your job or your finances. Your career. Most of the time, what you'll see is this, is that the further and further I move away from God, the closer and closer my life gets chaotic. Why? Because whatever you put first in your life orders everything else. So I want to encourage you, today could be the perfect day, the first Sunday of the year to reset everything and say, no, 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 no. You need to sit down with your spouse, say, babe, it is time we put God first back into our lives again. Number two is this, and it's, it sounds similar, but it is uniquely different, is this, is I will give God the first of everything. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking, because some of y'all are thinking, oh, he's going to do a money thing here. That's that whole tithing thing, right? You put God first. And you know what? There is the principle of tithing, and the tithe was the first 10% of all of their income. And they gave that to God. That's an ancient biblical practice that I believe still exists today. And I can show you why, but that's not the point of this sermon because here's the deal. Although I believe that's true, I believe it's only a part of a larger principle. Put it this way. Do I think that you ought to be a percentage giver and give God the first of all your income? Yeah, of course. But I'm talking, watch this, watch this. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. The Bible says, a tithe of everything from the land. Whether the grain of the soil or the fruit of the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. But here's the deal. Everybody say this word. Everybody say everything. Everybody say everything. It's everything. It's it's a tithe of everything. You know what you really have to do is you have to determine to give God the first of everything, not just your finances. Like I'm I'm talking about everything. So, So here's a thought. Deuteronomy 14 verse 23 says this, the purpose of tithing, this is the living Bible, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always what? Put God in first place in your life. So it's this principle then that we put God first. Yes, it's in our finances, but it's in, it's in everything. So let me give you a few here. Number one is this, is I want you to put God in the first of your year. That's why I'm so glad, I know I'm preaching the choir a little bit here, but I'm so glad you're here on the first Sunday of the year. But January is also the first month of the year. And that's why we do our 21-day fast in January. Because as a matter of fact, what we used to do is we used to do a 21-day fast leading up to Easter. And I was like, no, 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 I want to move it to January because of this very principle. So I believe this. I believe, hey, January is the first portion of our year. So normally what we do is we allow everybody to kind of rebound and recover. But the starting in the second Sunday of January, that's every year we kick off our 21-day fast because we want to determine, God, I'm going to give you the first of my year. Now, again, when we talk about fasting, there's all kinds of different ways to do this. Let me talk to you about this because I don't, I don't always get to share this. There's four different ways that I encourage people to fast. Number one is this. It's a complete fast. That's that whole water only from sun up till sundown, or water only for 24 hours, and it's just cutting out food. And I'm telling you, 
if I had time, there's, there's great resources out there. There's great books out there that you can get your hands on. But man, somebody called me the other day even. It's like, Pastor, what do you think about tithing and this and that and the other? And we had this great conversation. Tithing has all these incredible both health benefits, mental and emotional benefits, and there are unseen spiritual benefits. If you don't believe me, go read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he talks about fasting. And when he talks about fasting, he talks about it like it's a duh thing. Like, oh yeah, you should absolutely do this. This is a no-brainer. Every person should fast. And it's that idea of just complete fast. Over this next 21 days, I want you to do at least one day of water-only fasting. Here's another one. It's just a selective fast. So sometimes when you do a selective fast, I know, like I talked to a guy this morning, he said, I started my fast already, Pastor, and I cut out sugar, and I cut out caffeine, and I cut out this and that, and he was just giving me his, his whole list of things that he was cutting out for 21 days. Many people do this when they, if you read the book of Daniel, where Daniel does like a 10-day fast of basically fruits and vegetables only, it's like fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, and he goes, that's it, that's all I'm going to do for these days. And so that, that's one of those things. It's a selective fast. Some of us, man, I know, I know a guy that was like, man, I'm addicted to Diet Coke. Anybody out there addicted to Diet Coke? You got to be careful because like you can clean an engine with Diet Coke. Just be careful out there. Like, I don't think that's good for your, your kidneys probably. But, but, but like, that's what he does. He goes, and then he goes, I got free from, from soda because I did a selective fast one year. So that's the idea of cutting out maybe again, just specific things that you know, almost have like control over your life. Here's another one, a partial fast. A partial fast would just simply be something like, uh, maybe you would be like, I'm gonna fast a, a certain meal of the day. I'm gonna fast lunch. And during my lunch break, I'm gonna go read my Bible and pray and study. And I'm just gonna take that time and spend with the Lord. I'm gonna cut out lunch out of, out of my regular routine. And that's what I'm gonna give up. Other people do, because um, kind, of, kind of a Jewish fast is where you would fast maybe from sun up to sun down. Um, what's the other term that you would call that? Intermittent fasting is what they call that, I believe. So anyway, there's just different ways of doing a partial fast. And then lastly, this isn't, this isn't biblical. I just think it's wise. So it's, it's biblical in that sense, but it's a soul fast. Now here's a soul fast. Um, it has nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with like your mind and your emotions and your heart and kind of what goes on on the inside of you. So like, I know there's a lot of you, and we talk about this all the time, um, like social media is an addiction. Like social media, you can't not check your Facebook or your Instagram or your, your, all your different things. You can't go more than like 30 minutes without checking or you're addicted to see if you posted this, how many likes did you get and all kinds of odd and strange things. And so whether it's social media, Facebook, hey, here's one we do and it's, it is huge in our home. We do 21 days of no television. And I'm telling you what, man, just the freedom for that. Some of you, hey, let me help you. I'm gonna, this, this is thus say at the Lord for somebody out here. Some of y'all are news junkies. Yeah, okay, so the, mm-hmm. um, some of y'all are news junkies. And like, you get so worked up about the news. Like, you get angry. You, how many you talk to your TV when the news is on? Or your spouse, you just, you talk to your spouse. You do, you do, it's like, because you're a news junkie. And here's the reality of it. Most of that stuff works you up, gets you upset, gets you angry. And there's, there's nothing really that you're actually personally involved or engaged by it with, but it works you up and it gets you angry and it puts you in a mood and then it just throws you off. And here's the reality of it, that if you stop watching the news for 21 days, you know what happened? You'd be a happier person. And when you stop, watch this now, outside of a major, major event, which you will hear about even if you don't watch the news, by the way, If you take off 21 days, when you come back, the world will be the same. Donald Trump, something with Russia, something with Korea. It's all, 
It's always the same. Right? This is why, this is why uh, Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. Give it 21 days. Everything, trust me, it's all crazy. The names and faces change from time to time, but it's pretty much all the same. So anyway, some of y'all need to just do a soul fast and say, man, I'm going to let that go, let that out of my soul so I can be a more present person with my family, a more present person in my marriage, a more happier, kinder person because I'm not angry and yelling at the television. So anyway, I, this, this is just the whole genesis behind our 21-day fast. If you ever wondered, like, Todd, why do we do that? It's because we're determined to give God the first of our year. Number two is this, it's not only the first of my year, I'm going to give God the first of my week. That's why you're here right now. Did you know that? It is Sunday morning and you are right now giving God the first of your week. If you look at kind of Christian history, you know, the Jews used to have church or Sabbath on what? Saturday. It was always on Saturday. So, you know, but, but Christians at some point in time said, hey, let's, let's switch our holy day to Sunday. And it was primarily for two reasons. Number one is because Sunday was the day that we recognized and celebrated that Jesus rose from the dead, that that was on a Sunday, but also it was the first day of the week. So rather than end your week in some type of worship service, they said, what if we could begin? What if we could give God the very first of our week? And so here's my big thing for you this year. This would be my big challenge. I don't believe in in resolutions, but my big challenge would be this. Get to church every Sunday morning. Like, don't, don't miss it. Don't sleep in and say, ah, don't stay up so late on Saturday that you can't get here on a Sunday morning. Like, what, maybe I should frame it like this. What would your life look like if you were here 52 weeks of the year? Would your life be better? Of course it would. Would your heart be better? Would, you, would, your, would your life be on more track? Would you be more in tune with the ways of God and the Spirit of God moving in your life? Yeah, of course you would. So give God the first of your week. And I'm not talking about just even giving him, like, let me, let me take this further. I'm not talking about just giving him an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I'm saying give him the whole day. That was the whole principle of the Sabbath, that the whole day was a day of rest. We just started it with, with worship and scripture and, and hearing from God. But we take the whole day and make it a day of rest and focus on God. Number whatever is this, I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, they're not numbered in my notes. Uh, I want to give God the first of my day. Hey, here's a radical thought. What if you gave God the first 15 minutes of your day? Every day. My wife is amazing at this. Like my wife is so good at the ability to like wake up because I feel like I'm a borderline zombie when I first wake up in the morning. So this is really hard for me. I enjoy giving God the last 15 minutes of every day. Like I really do. That first 15 is hard, but I'm telling you what, man, This is what I know to be true. When I do give God the first of my day, remember what I said that whatever you put first orders everything else in your life? Watch this. And anybody that does this regularly knows what I'm talking about. Because you can see a difference in your life when you do it when you don't. When you start your day, what if you started your day every day for the first 15 minutes and for the first 15 minutes you gave God just a moment of prayer, of worship, and of time in scripture for just 15 minutes. And that's all you did. For 15 minutes, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what a beautiful name it is. I'm gonna sing and worship. And then I'm gonna read scripture. And I'm not talking about one of them just quick daily devotions and then you close it and go. I'm talking about like, no, a legitimate 10, 15 minutes of undistracted, focused time where you pray, worship, and read scripture. Whatever you put first orders everything else. And anybody that does this will tell you this. It alters the rest of my day. 
It puts the rest of my day into that uphill habit, into that upward trajectory. I go into that day with more hope. I go into that day with more patience and with more mercy. I go into that day with more faith. I go into that day feeling stronger and more secure. I'm just telling you that when you give God the first of your day, it orders everything else in your day. And then lastly is this is, yeah, the first of my finances. Just so you know, like that's just an important principle. If you want God to bless you in your finances, there is this biblical kind of arrangement where God says, look, if you'll, do, if you'll do finances in this biblical way, I can do more in your life. That's just what the scripture teaches. As a matter of fact, I had a couple come to me just recently and say, Todd, the, the, we, we, been, we started, we're restarted tithing again because they had stopped doing it for a while. And they said, Todd, ever since we started tithing, it has been ridiculous. Our business has literally doubled. And they were trying to figure out, like, not only should they tithe in their finances, crap, maybe we just take the business and tithe it. I don't even know. Like this, and then like what they were saying was, is that in year one, it doubled, but in year two, it kept growing. It wasn't like it just grew. And they were like, they were like, this is real. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I promise it works. There is this unique agreement where, and this is what I know about you. I know you want God to bless your life. But then there's this trust factor, right? Can I really give God the first portion, the first percentage of my my income? Because your immediate thought is like, there won't be enough, Todd. And anybody that does this, this is what what the stories always are. Todd, it doesn't even make sense. I don't even think the dollars and cents add up when I do it. There ought not be enough, but there always is. Or it's always like, hey, I've stepped into this new reality. I've stepped into this new blessing. I've stepped into something more. I'm just telling you, God wants to bless you. But it comes when you kind of trust your heavenly father because you're learning to put God first in everything. Last thought if you're taking notes. If I put God first in my life, And if I give God the first of everything I have, I can trust that God will bless the rest. When you give him the first of your year, the first of your week, the first of your day, even the first of your... I'm just telling you, there's this principle. God is preeminent. He cannot not be first. So when you actually decide to put him first in every area of your life, that orders everything else. Everything else begins to flow into its proper place. I'll just make this real. This is a practical way it works. When I put God first in my life, man, I start becoming the person I was always meant to be. I start becoming the husband or the dad I was always meant to be. I start stepping into the blessing I was always meant to receive because God is first in my life, and I've determined to give God the first of everything in my life. Think about this. Have you ever thought about how, like, if you spend time with God, that it's so incredibly difficult to spend great time with God and then to go out and be like a jerk? Why? You just Because you ordered something in your heart so that you could become like your heavenly Father. I'm just telling you, it changes, it changes everything. I want you to have this uphill habit people. I promise I want you to be blessed this year. I want you to let go of 2017 and walk into something great. And it will begin when you put God first in your life and you begin to give God the first of everything that you have. Last scripture, and we're going to pray. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What was the principle in play here? Is that when you give God your first, He will bless the rest. Let's determine this year. I know you have uphill hopes. 
I know you have uphill dreams. Let's get some uphill habits now. Let's put God first in everything. Let's pray this morning. God, what is it that I need to do today different? God, I want this year to be better than the previous year. I want to move forward in you, in your plan and purpose for my life. I want to move forward in blessing. I want to move forward in knowing you. What do I need to do differently? Is there an area where I've been giving you a seventh place medal? Is there an area where I do my own thing first and then maybe when it all falls apart, I cry out to you? Is there an area where you're not first in my life and so God, today is the day I change. I'm going to do something different. God, I want you to be first in my life. So God, from this moment forward, help me to give you the first of everything that I have. What will that be for you? For some of you it is. It's committing to say, hey, I go to church some. I go to church-ish. I go to church kinda. I go to church when it's convenient. What if you were at church every Sunday morning because you wanted to determine, I'm gonna give God the first of my week. For some of you, it's putting that, that new level of devotion into your morning to where I say, hey, you know what? Every morning I need to surrender to God. Every morning I need to start with his words on my lips, with, with my heart being in the right place. What can I do every morning? For some of you, it is. For some of you, it's, it's, it's a whole new financial step. You, you know, you've been around the church maybe for a while. You've heard about this idea of tithes and offerings and whatnot, but you've never, never tried it before. You've never stepped out in faith, and maybe it's time to start. God, what is it that I need to do differently? God, today, I want to put you first and have you bless everything else, Lord. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. And if you believe me, give me a good gospel. Amen. Yeah, give a little big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.